It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Welcome to the uh, Thursday edition of the Mutual Admiration Society. Now, seriously, we are pleased to have with us today in studio the host of Contending for the Faith, heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here. He is a counselor, a lecturer. He is an expert on the cults and one of America's leading Christian apologists of the day. He is Dr. Jerry Buckner, and Dr. Buckner is always a privilege to have you with us. Brother Craig, it's a blessing to be in the studio with you and just reflecting on <clears throat> how good-looking uh, we still are. <laughs> Amen, uh, Anytime we can look in the mirror and not break it, I think we're in good shape. That's, that's good news, to be, <laughs> to be sure. Also, demonstrative of the fact that God has a, a sense of humor, to be sure. You've got a very special event coming up, and we're going to uh, tell listeners more about that a little bit later on, but it ties into the subject matter of today's conversation. And I, and I want to begin with sort of some, some broad perspectives on Christianity that I think also will be helpful for our listeners as they are either perhaps exploring the claims of Christ or endeavoring to share their faith with others. You know, you look at Christianity as a world religion, and there are some naysayers out there that would suggest this is all a product of somebody's imagination. God doesn't really exist. Somebody cooked up this religion 2,000 plus years ago. And then you have to think, well, if it was simply a creation of mankind and that, in fact, um, maybe even God himself doesn't exist and uh, this elaborate hoax has been created by, I don't know, the 12 disciples or who would be at the core of it, you'd think to yourself, well, if I was about to put together some false ideology out there that I wanted to hook, hoodwink people into, I probably would start with a few points that are a little bit more, well, let's face it, uh, less preposterous than some of the claims of Christianity. For example, um, so the, the focal point of Christianity is Jesus. If you were creating this and, and a bunch of guys sat down one day over, you know, cigars and, and, and wine and said, ha, we'll come up with a world religion. Maybe we can make some money at this. Do you think you'd start out by saying, well, let's make the central figure of our religion born of a virgin? Really? Or, or how about this one? A king who spent his first day on earth, not in the palace, but instead inside of a manger, the central figure who raises the dead, really, or brings sight to the blind? Um, how about the board of directors or the support <laughs> network? Instead of picking leaders of government and well-respected individuals, instead selects this group of 12, what better can we call them, but social outcasts between tax collectors and fishermen and people of that ilk. And, and then the other oddity. So in Hinduism, as some listeners might know, Hinduism promotes the idea that there are 330 separate independent gods, and yet Christianity really complicates that by saying, well, it's one god, but in three persons. I mean, if you look at some of the face value 
of the 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 pillars of faith of the tenets of Christianity, you would think to yourself that if this was really a religion that was just made up, and I'm, I'm doing my air quotes here with my fingers for the listeners who can't see, uh, you would think that they would come up with ideas and concepts that would be a little bit more believable, that would raise fewer questions, that would uh, ratchet down the 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 spire of. Um, doubtfulness with regards to what is trying to be promoted. But instead, Christianity doesn't do that at all. Instead, Christianity says, there are some things here that you will need to understand through faith, some things here that are only divine, divinely revealed through the Holy Spirit. And while there may, yes, be complexities to aspects of Christianity, it is nevertheless still at a level understandable, even though we're in spite of the fact that we still see through Aiden class darkly right now. And at the end of the day, one of the aspects that points to the veracity of Christianity is the fact that it doesn't attempt to try and skirt around issues that on face value seem to raise big questions. Mm-hmm. One of those issues, of course, being, I just referred to, the Trinity itself. Yes, very true. Um it is a special, unique teaching about God. And getting back to uh, what you were saying earlier about uh, Christianity uh, not being a hoax, I mean, when you think about all the disciples and apostles uh, who died, the only one that lived through that uh, terrible time of the Roman Empire was John, you know, and but all of them died uh, for the cause of Christ, and you don't die for a hoax. You die for something that was really real to you and that was convicting, and not only was the life of Christ transforming for those people, but for us today. And the Trinity is something that is the heart of who God is. And the reason why I teach it and uh, try to equip people in this area, because of the fact that if you don't know the heart of who God is, I would have to back up and say that every theological heresy begins with a misconception of the very nature, essence, and being of God. Mm -hmm. If you don't know who God is, it can open up Pandora's box to all the evils of the world. And this is why we have so many cults today. This is one of the reasons why we have so many false religions today. This is why we have so many non-church goers today. It's because biblical illiteracy is the curse of the church today. And if we are not equipped in knowing who God is, it can open up Pandora's box to all sorts of evils that can lead us into a terrible area of our life, and eternally it can lead us to hell. Does this also, Dr. Buckner, help us better understand the reason why it's important to study the Trinity in an effort to better know the character of God? Because as you point out, if we don't know him, it is very easy for us to be readily deceived by any wind of doctrine that may come to and fro. It's often said, for example, by Secret Service, which um, in, in their role, in addition to protecting the president, also investigates cases of um, falsification of notes. 
And so as they teach their agents, both within the Secret Service and the FBI, of how to deal with and recognize counterfeit notes, well, there are thousands of different attempts at counterfeiting money, as we know, down through the ages. It goes on to this very day. And yet, what do they do? They don't teach you how to recognize the counterfeit notes. They teach you how to recognize the real deal. If you know what a real, legitimate bill looks like and the unique characteristics that are inherent to every legitimate piece of United States currency... You're not going to be fooled when the phony thing comes along because you'll immediately recognize it for what it is. Absolutely. Because you know what the true bill looks like. So is it the same comparison then when it comes to understanding the character of God, understanding the Trinity, and in doing so then being less susceptible to being tossed about by every wind of doctrine, because when that false doctrine comes along, we instantly know this isn't the real deal. Absolutely. It's uh, interesting that you uh, use that illustration, and I want to dovetail off of that. My mentor, Dr. Walter Martin, uh, who was one of the greatest apologists that ever lived, uh, he, in his book, The Kingdom of the Cults, he uses that same type of illustration, but he uses it regarding Jesus Christ. And it's a chapter talking about another Jesus versus the real Jesus. And uh, basically, he says in there, he uses an illustration of the American Banking Association and how each year they train their bank tellers to be so familiar with the original money so that when the counterfeit comes, they can detect it right away. And then he built upon that saying, what a beautiful sermon illustration If we get so familiar with the real Jesus, Mm -hmm. there's no way we can be fooled by the counterfeit. And this fits into a series that I did on the radio many, many years. When we started back in 1995, I did a series on another Jesus versus the real Jesus. And I built it upon 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, where the Apostle Paul talks about another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. And he says, if you don't know the real Jesus, you can be deceived by a false Jesus, a false gospel, and a false uh, teaching. So going back to what you were saying as well, study to show yourself. That's what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy as a young minister. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the Greek word for study there is not the Greek word study, it's be diligent and everything that comes to the truth of God's Word. So Jesus is the the doorway to us understanding who the Father is. And so if we are off target with Jesus, we'll be off target with everything else. And that's why Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. So if we don't know who he is, will be thrown off with who the Father is and who the Holy Spirit. He opens up the door towards us understanding the essence and being of who the real God is. There are some cults, even within the fringes of Christianity, that would say, well, we looked for chapter and verse on Trinity and can't find it in the Bible. And therefore, this is too complex, too complicated, so we're just going to dispose with that. It just doesn't seem to be very practical. When we come back after a brief time out, I want you, Dr. Buckner, to help us better understand, number one, why that viewpoint is false, 
Secondarily, how through understanding the Trinity, we better understand the nature of God that leads us then to being able to know not only false teaching from truism, but also through better understanding the nature and character of God, we can also do a better job at being Christ's disciples. Dr. Jerry Buckner with us today in studio. He is a Bay Area pastor, Christian apologist, book author, and um, also, by the way, hosts Contending for the Faith, heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. Let me mention, too, that Dr. Buckner is going to be conducting a very special seminar on this topic of the Trinity and spiritual warfare. We'll expand into that a little bit later on in our conversation tonight. That event is Saturday, September the 30th. It will be a half-day seminar, jam-packed lots of good information, 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., hosted by Highway International Church. That's located at 1319 West Texas Street in Fairfield. And for details and information, you can call area code 415-721-1778. That's 415-721-1778. More details on that event a little bit later on. Right now, though, we're going to get you some details on traffic as we head over to the KFAX Traffic Center and say good afternoon to Michael Bennett. Hey, Michael, how are we doing out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back to our conversation with Dr. Jerry Buckner. He, of course, is a leading Christian apologist, host of Contending for the Faith, heard Saturdays at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. He also pastors Tiburon Christian Fellowship up in the, uh, the North Bay. We're talking about the Trinity and the tremendous sense of misunderstanding, misguided teaching that is out there about this very fundamental pillar of the Christian faith. And and Dr. Buckner, we we were just talking off the air, you could do an eight-hour seminar on this and not be done. And unfortunately, we don't have anywhere near that kind of time. But help us understand, when we talk about the Trinity, I mentioned before the break, well, you can't look up the word in Scripture. And yet, throughout Scripture, we see constant examples of the triune God and the, 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 the character and personality of God through God the Lord, the Father, God in Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Help us understand even the word of the Trinity. Where did that first come about? That Where was that first coined? That is question, Craig. And uh, when I generally pose that question to the average Christian, they don't know. The word Trinity came about in the second century from a scholar by the name of Tertullian. And Tertullian, interesting to note, if you Google his name, you will find that he was a one of the first black African defenders. Most scholars say that. He was the first black African apologist defender of the Christian faith. Hmm. He came out of Carthage, Africa, uh, and he coined the term Trinitas, which means Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept and the evidence is in the Bible. Let me kind of give you an example. When a lot of times people like Jehovah's Witnesses who don't believe in the Trinity, they try to say, well, because the word Trinity is not in the Bible, that means that it's not a true doctrine. Well, the word incarnation is not in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible. The word Bible <laughs> is not in the Bible. Now you're going to meddling. Oh, boy. Now you're going to tear down all those straw, straw men, huh? <laughs> Amen. But the evidence is there. And so 
When we generally talk about the Trinity, how do we demonstrate the validity and historicity and authenticity of the Trinity? Well, we have to understand, and this is so important for every believer to know, because as I was sharing with you during the break, a lot of pastors don't know this, because I have posed these, posed these questions to pastors and uh, done seminars for pastors on the Trinity, and a lot of times they don't know because they've never been taught, and then pastors before them never taught them this. So this is why this is so vital to know this. But when we look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we find that God is one God. He is He revealed himself as one God. How do we know that? Well, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, the Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then, so that's in the Old Testament. And then also you find in the book of Isaiah, which is an a Johannian. Some scholars say that the book of Isaiah is a type of Johannian gospel because throughout it, you know, he's doing nothing but telling you uh, about God and, uh, you know, even prophecy on Jesus and that there's only one God. So we find that even in the book of Isaiah, but in the New Testament, we find in First Timothy 2 and 5, and I'm doing all this by memory, it, it talks about there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And then you find in James 2 and 19 that uh, thou believest that there is one God, you do well. The demons also believe and tremble. The Greek word is demons, not devils. So we find in the Bible that God has revealed himself as one God. You don't have to be a great logician to figure that out. It's different from what the Mormons teach. The Mormons teach that there are many gods, and Hinduism teaches many gods. The New Age movement teaches there are many gods, and the black Muslims teach that there are many gods. And even with the Orthodox Islam, this is interesting, that earlier in their teachings in Medina, they taught that Allah had three daughters and that they were all goddesses. So they started off being uh, polytheists, mm-hmm. believing in many gods. And a lot of them don't know that as well as a lot of people don't know that. So so God has revealed himself as one God. And then, and then we find throughout Scripture as well from Genesis to Revelation that the Father is called God. Well, where is that? Galatians 1 and 1 talks about God the Father raised him up from the dead. And then we find that in Philippians 2 and 11, it says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to, the, to God the Father. So God the Father is called God. And then we find Jesus is called God. Where is that in, in Scripture? John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And where else in the Bible is Jesus called God? Well, he's called God by others. For instance, Thomas, after he saw Jesus after the resurrection, he says in Greek was so beautiful, O kurios mo keo theos mo, the Lord of me, the very God of me. And Jesus could have rebuked him if it wasn't true. But he says, Thomas, because you have seen me, because you have believed, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus is called God. And throughout the Gospel of John, over 23 times, he's called the I Am. And that's another title for him being God, because he said, before Abraham was in John 8 and 58, I am. And he quoted from Exodus 3 and 14, when Moses says, when I go before the children of Israel, and they shall ask of me, what is your name? What shall I say? And God said in Hebrew, I am that I am. So Jesus quotes directly from there. And then lastly, we see that the Holy Spirit is called God. Where is that at? 
Well, we find in John 4 and 24, it says, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, spirit and in and truth. truth. Mm-hmm. And then we find also in Acts 5, 3 and 4, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. And then Peter had the spirit of discernment, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge. And he says, you have not lied unto man, but you lied unto God, which He's teaching that the Holy Spirit has a person. He's a person because only a person can be lied to. And then he ends up saying, you're not lied into man but God. And so when we put all this together, we find that the Bible teaches in one God, the Father is called God, Son is called God, Holy Spirit is called God, and yet this is the heart of the Bible. And when people are not disciple, that's the word, disciple. The word Christian is mentioned three times in the Bible. The word disciple is mentioned 269 times. What does that tell you, Come on now. Come on now. (laughs) So, you know, discipleship is something that we have not been discipled in in our churches, and that's why so many people right now are vulnerable and gullible to the enemy. Well, even if you look at the, the mandate to go out into all the world and to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Was it because we need to sign up more Christians? No. The mandate is to go out and to make disciples. And the entire concept of discipleship, sadly, Dr. Buckner, is missing from so much of Christendom today that as a result, the feeling is we're out taking names. You want to to join here? Sign up right here. Once you've signed up, There's no plan in place, there's no operation in place to get you deeper into the beginning stages of that relationship and understanding the character, the personality of God, to begin to understand about who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, who God the Father is within the Trinity, within the Godhead. And as a result, there is this sense of okay, I've signed up, I've done one or two things, and now I'm just along for the ride, and I'm hoping maybe along the way um, God will bless me with enough money to go out and buy the Cadillac I've always wanted, whatever. And so we end up ultimately with not only a very watered-down Christianity, a watered-down church, we also find that we have a church that is instead of powerful and strong, united and triumphant, is weak, compromised, and vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. That looks nothing like the image of the church where we are told that very hell itself may attack it and yet will not prevail against it because on that rock, the church, would Christ do the building. And so... This is a major failure of Christendom, isn't it? It really is. And, man, you just, I was just listening, taking it in. I said, preach on, brother. I mean, <laughs> yes, me sir. Yes, sir. I was getting ready to say, let's do an invitation over the airway. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but you really have hit it right on the, uh, on the head. And it's uh, if we don't get to the point where we uh, bring this thing to these areas, I think I did this many years ago. Uh, for the pastors. Um, I did an article, and it went out to the pastors. I kind of laid out a lot of different Ds. And one of the first Ds that I laid out was doctrine, that we need to be 
doctrinally sound. That was the first D. And then underneath that D was discipleship, because once we have learned sound doctrine, then we can go to the next D, which is discipleship. And when we go to the next D, discipleship, we're ready to go to the other areas of discernment. See, that's another D, discernment. And then we become another D, discipline. Now, I'm starting to preach now. Discipline in the things of, of God. But if we don't follow this format, we open up the door for people in our churches to be ignorant. Now, there are three types of people in our churches today, Craig. And uh, never forget this, uh, because when I learned it, I say, you know what, I'm going to say it every time I get an opportunity. There are those who watch things happen. They got a degree in watchology. Uh, they got a degree in observology. They got a degree in lookology. And then there's the next group, those who uh, don't care if anything happens. They just don't care. They, they have a gift in pew-sitting. That's what they have a gift in. And then there is the third group, those who make things happen. Those who make things happen. That's the three types of people we have in the church. And I always challenge people with that, even our own church. Which group are you? Now, we pray that you'll be the third group. Make things happen. Now, you're going to make things happen when you follow this format where you get into doctrine. You need to know who the Lord is. You need to know who God is. And then the Lord will lead you to a spirit of discipleship and then discernment. Because when we are not a discerning people, we'll follow anything. How do we get to the place of discernment? Well, we follow the format of being doctrinally sound. And then next we fall into the category of being people that will fall right up under the doctrine, and then we'll fall up under this thing where we become discipled, and then we will be discerning people. So this is something we need to teach on, and this is one of the things why I'm bringing out tonight, and hopefully it'll inspire somebody. And the lack of this, I want to be careful to point it out, and then we'll take a break. The lack of the solid doctrine and the discernment and the lack of discipleship is what creates a defeated church, not only in terms of of the church with a big C, but the church small C, meaning individuals, as we make up that body of Christ. There are people listening today who said, yeah, Dr. Buckner, I feel so defeated. The enemy is just pouncing on me at every single turn. It seems as if I can't get a break whatsoever. And then I went to this other church the other day, and they said some real good things, and I kind of got caught up in all of that. And yet there seems to be something that is very shallow, um, that is very dissatisfying, that's, that's failing to fulfill me as a person. And that's because we tend to be attracted, those with the itching ears, to teachers that will say things that make us feel good, not necessarily make us more righteous, not necessarily increase our discernment, not necessarily help us understand more about the character and personality of God, but rather will make us feel less guilty or simply give that kind of um, Anthony Robbins sort of, hey, go out and get them, Tiger, you can do it. And the problem is that once that speech begins to sort of fall into your forgetfulness, you're no longer feeling successful. You're no longer an overcomer. You're living, quite frankly, a very defeated life. And all of it centrally comes back to 
what kind of a Christian are you? Are you the spectator? Are you the watcher? Are you the watch and see whatever happens? Or are you the doer? Are you the maker? And at the core of that begins with solid doctrine, discernment, which flows from solid doctrine, that begins with proper discipleship. Absolutely. And then we, at that last day, and then we will be disciplined towards all the things that God called us to do. Uh, and when you talk, when we talk about this issue of uh, discipleship, when you go back to every false teacher today, we see so many of them today around us. And even when you go back and you do a study on them, somehow they didn't get sound doctrine. They didn't get the, the area of discipline or being discerning and being discipled. And then this, this pattern continued to go on from generation to generation to generation. And you look at these churches and you say, why are they that way? Well, the pastor has conditioned them to be that way, and then the pastors before them. So what we're trying to do tonight, Craig, is to really equip people in this area. And this is where we uh, talk about spiritual warfare, too, because I believe that if we don't get equipped with the whole armor on, we will get whipped. And to come back full circle, Dr. Buckner, to your comment with regards to what seems to be this, this generational failure we live in a day and an age when there are celebrity pastors, some of whom have major television audiences and have congregations of 18,000 people and yet have not even spent five minutes inside of a seminary, university, or Bible college. Oh, somebody came along and said, okay, we'll wave the magic wand and call you ordained, but there's been zero preparation whatsoever from a theological standpoint. And so the best that they can do is get up and speak sweet platitudes and make people feel motivated and give them that little tickle behind their ears. So now that it, that itch has been scratched, and yet they've been equipped with none of the tools necessary to not only grow in their own relationship with God, but to have that full armor on that allows them to go into the spiritual warfare that each and every one of us face every single day. Some people listening right now say, well, I'm not in any kind of warfare. Well, if you think that, it's only because the devil has deceived you into believing that. Because the fact of the matter is that the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, as Scripture tells us, roams about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Who does the lion go after? He goes after the prey that is the slowest, the most vulnerable, and not paying any attention. We'll pause on that point. We'll come back. We'll have Dr. Buckner address a few more questions regarding the Trinity. And then I want to pivot to the second part of his special um, conference coming up again Saturday, September the 30th from 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., hosted by Highway International Church. It's at 1319 West Texas Street in Fairfield, and you can call 415-721-1778 to get details and more information. Again, 415-721-1778. Mark your calendar Saturday, September 30th, 
9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. at Highway International Church, a look at the Trinity and spiritual warfare. We'll continue to have our look at the Trinity and spiritual warfare right after a quick timeout. Let's get you updated here on some traffic. We're a bit late. That's okay. You're stuck in traffic. You're probably late, too, would be my guess. Find out what's going on. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back to the conversation. Dr. Jerry Buckner with us today. Dr. Buckner is going to be talking and teaching both on the topic of the Trinity and spiritual warfare coming up on Saturday, September the 30th, 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. at Highway International Church. That's located in Fairfield. And uh, jot this number down for more information at 415-721-1778. Let's talk about the notion of the manners in which God presents himself through the personality of the Son or the person of the Son or the person of the Holy Spirit. Help us better understand, Dr. Buckner, the different functions of those offices within the Godhead. Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. Well, you know, when we talk about the function of each person of the Trinity, we see that the Father is the one who has sent the Son. His function was to send the Son uh, to not only... Uh, die for our sins, but to uh, teach us, disciple us, equip us, and to die and be raised from the dead. And then the function of the Holy Spirit uh, was sent by Jesus. So Jesus sent the Holy Spirit as he said, I'm going away to go back to the Father, but I'll send you a comforter. He will teach you and equip you. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Holy Spirit. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So each one of them have this function, and yet within the Godhead, you have the function of them being one, but yet distinct. So we say, if we were to try to come up with a definition of the Trinity, we would say, within the nature of the one true God, There are three eternal, distinct persons who are called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent. So that word function carries a deep meaning. In other words, even during the ministry of Jesus, he could say, now this is interesting, he could say that the Father was greater than I because It was not that the Father was better than him, but greater. Now, the Greek word for greater is mezon, M-E-Z-I-O-N, M-E-Z-I-O-N, mezon. And that's talking about position. So Jesus came and humbled himself in the form of a servant, but never gave up his godhood as God. And so he came in the position of a man. Therefore, he could say in John 14 and 28, the Father is greater than I. If he would have used the Greek word kreton, K-R-E-I-T-T-O-N, that would be uh, better, which means nature. So he didn't use that word. So the function of the Son was coming to the earth on a lower position But yet he still maintained his equality with the Father as God. 
then Jesus ended up saying that that he was greater than the Holy Spirit, not that he was better. So they all had these different functions and they had these different roles, but they were always loving to one another. They were always one when Jesus prayed when he before he got ready to go to the cross he said i pray that they will be one even as you and i are one father now he was talking there in john 17 as in terms of unity when jesus spoke in john 10 verses 30 through 33 when he says i and the father we are one he was talking about nature that he and the father are one in nature and that's why the jews tried to stone him the Jews were the first to start a rock concert. Every time Jesus claimed to be God, they wanted to rock his world. Mm-hmm. So we see this different function in positions, uh, greater in nature, but yet they're all one, equal, and yet they were all working together. It's just like in a marriage. You know, there's two, the marriage, the husband and wife are equal in terms of nature but they have different roles and functions by which they work. And so the Bible says that the head of the home is the man. So yet he's the head, but he's also under the head of Christ. So, but that's the role of the husband, and then the wife also has her role. So we all have these different functions and roles, but you look at a marriage and you can look at it in, in similarity to also the Trinity because a husband and wife are equal in nature, but positionally they play different roles. And some might look at this and say, well, my goodness, now why wouldn't there be the opportunity for disagreement or infighting? The, the beauty of this is that those three functions also work in absolute perfect, flawless harmony yes. toward one single centralized goal. What do we see? The, the big picture with God creating Adam and Eve or determining that through sin in the garden, the fallen nature of mankind, and God was offended by that sin because it put up a wall of separation between he and his creation, he being a righteous God, a holy God, and that God wants to walk in fellowship, in relationship with his creation. And so now we look at the harmony of the function of those offices, that it is God who desires to have relationship with the creation, but it was Jesus Christ who provided the sacrifice on the cross, that ultimate means by which through his sacrifice we might find remission of sin and the ability to therefore be reconciled unto the Father, and that that process of reconciliation is initiated by whom? By the Holy Spirit, who convicts us of sin and draws us to the foot of the cross to accept Christ's work that leads us to the Father who wants to be in relationship with us. So the harmony of those three offices working in unity together toward the single and central goal of reconciliation to the creation that we might walk in fellowship with, get this, the very God creator of, as people say, gee, I wish I could have met Steve Jobs. Oh, would it have been great to have been invited to the White House and and dine with Barack Obama or, you know, meet your favorite rock star, whatever. But no, this is the very creator of the universe, 
of all that we see and all that is unseen, who says, that which I value the most is my creation, mankind, and I wish to walk in relationship and fellowship with him. Because of his sin nature, we have been separated. I am going to provide the means by which there might be reconciliation as my Holy Spirit will convict of sin and draw to the cross. Christ's work on the cross is the ultimate sacrifice, all leading back to relationship with the Father. The harmony of that harmony of is just, if you, if you hear that and say, that blows my mind as well as it ought to, mm-hmm. as well as it ought to. Oh, yeah, the harmony of that with the unity of that. And when you think of that, all that you just shared, so beautifully said, it goes right back to John 17. Father, I pray that they will be one, even as you and I are one, because the ultimate goal of the church is to be reflectors of that unity, of that harmony, and yet we don't see that. No, we don't. We don't see that. We are allowing Satan to come into the church and create so much division over non-essential areas, over petty things, He's dividing the church, and we're doing everything but the opposite of being reflectors of the very thing that you just said. Well, and one of the biggest ways in which this is being played out, even in society today, in in that that bigger picture of uh, the influence of the church, again, salt and light, is the issue of race relations. And everybody wants to either protest or have a meeting or tear down a statue or whatever the case might be. I'm not opining on any of that. But to say that the one group that ought to understand the most about reconciliation and forgiveness and healing is the church, because we are the one group that has experienced it. Above all other types of reconciliation and healing, there is no greater one than reconciliation between the fallen creation and very God himself through Jesus Christ. And yet, the church has been largely AWOL on this topic. Now, I know I don't want it to be a broad stroke brush that suggests that no believer, nobody in the church is involved in doing anything in addressing some of the current race relationship issues that we're seeing here unfold in America today. But to say that if we compare the role of the church in the move towards emancipation back in the 1800s, or more recently, the role of the church played in the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s, and yet where the church is at today, the church largely, sadly, has been AWOL, and yet we are the ones that are best equipped and should most readily be modeling what reconciliation, forgiveness, and healing is. That is so true, Craig. And, you know, when the church goes absent and AWOL, it just puts the whole society in a, in a real deep, bad situation. And, and God always brings it right back to the church. And, and you know, one of the things that I have uh, discovered, uh, Craig, uh, and I'm, I'm deeply behind uh, race relations and reconciliation and stuff like that, but I think what has happened today is that Satan is so tricky. You know, when we go back into history, we see that the first president, that ever addressed the nation as sinners was Abraham Lincoln. And then after him was Eisenhower. Can you imagine a president getting up and calling the people today sinners 
And yet in Second Chronicles 7 and 14, I mean, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. So what is happening today is Satan is getting us so much into the thing of race. Don't get me wrong. I believe that that is an issue that we should be addressing when it comes to racism in any form or likeness. But until we get to the real issue, the real issue is deeper than race. It's sin. And until we deal with sin in our lives and deal with a Savior— And we can't just say this Savior is somebody that is going to save us and take us to heaven. No, he wants to save you from your sins. So this is not, and I I don't want to head into a political discussion, but this is not about Republicans and Democrats. This is not about black and white. This is not about whether you live in the Deep South or live in the sophisticated North. Um, At the core, these issues, and this is not even about somebody being a racist. Now hear me. This is really about sin nature. Sin nature. This is the manifestation of sin nature and separation from God. Yes. And this is the end result. This is the end result. And we're going to have to come, we're going to have to come back again and do a, a talk on this because uh, I did something on this uh, on my radio program on Contending for the Faith. The real issue, because we can make an idol out of many different things, pornography, drugs, alcohol. I think we can even make an idol out of, out of racism because we can, quote-unquote, say that's the real issue in our society, and it's deeper than that. It's sin and a sin nature getting right with a Savior. So we need to be doing some marching with Jesus and saying he's the answer to the sin problem that will alleviate the problem of racism. And let's talk chicken or egg. Which came first? <laughs> some would suggest that racism results in sin. The truth of the matter is, and maybe the reason why we're having such a problem addressing this issue in this country today, is that we fail to recognize that at the core, the problem isn't racism. It's the sin that begat the racism. Absolutely. Deal with the sin, deal with the heart, and all of these other issues and problems will be dealt with. But, you know, Dr. Buckner, the bigger issue here, too, is that a lot of the church, I think, has been amiss at understanding that at the core, this is a battle. Mm -hmm. This is not just, well, I read my Bible, I go to church, I put a couple of dollars in the offering plate every Sunday, and, uh, you know, when the pastor says we're going to have a Saturday work day, I come down and volunteer, maybe even bake a cake for, uh, you know, the the, the, uh, Sunday school classes, all the while not only being essentially a church that has been cut off from the sound doctrines of the faith, but a church that is completely disconnected from the reality of the spiritual warfare that is being waged. If you want to look at the disconnect that's happening in the world today, if we talk about you know children who misbehave their parents and the lack of respect and and what's happening with the rise, the, the amount of drug abuse in this country today is at staggering levels, so much so that you look at the condition of our society today, and you, you've got to say to yourself, where did we go wrong? Well, we, we've gone wrong because the church 
has failed to recognize that this is spiritual warfare and that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal ones. They're not go out and buy a gun and, you know, learn judo so you can attack the the one that's attacking you, but rather the warfare that's taking place is in those principalities Powers. and high places. Yes. And yet we're MIA. We're missing in action for the most part. And it is largely because we are ignorant on such things. And if you can stay with us for a few minutes, I want to take a time out and come back and talk about this other dynamic of the upcoming seminar that Dr. Buckner is going to be teaching on Saturday, September the 30th at Highway International Church in Fairfield, because as much as there is a tremendous degree of ignorance, of understanding of the Trinity, as we've been delineating here um, in our conversation with Dr. Buckner tonight, but along with that is the church that's supposed to be equipped and be out there on the front lines engaging in spiritual warfare, because let's face it, if we're not equipped to, to, to fight the enemy, well, certainly the world isn't going to be, because the enemy is of the world, and the world is of the enemy. But the church largely has been missing in action. We've gone AWOL. Why is that? We'll come back and talk about spiritual warfare. It's our conversation with Christian apologist Dr. Jerry Buckner continues right after this. 603, if you can believe it, you're stuck in traffic, so let's get you an update right now. Michael Bennett has the latest in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. 